Welcome to The Teacher's Story. I'm Jackie Scully. This is a podcast to elevate teacher voice. In this program, you will hear teachers sharing their journey into this profession and their ideas for education. I'm kicking it off Teacher Appreciation Week, which starts May 2nd. This is about honest, vulnerable, inspiring storytelling. It's a time and a space for teachers to share their ideas for the future of education. Teachers are beautiful beings who give their heart and soul to their community. They're innovators, they're inspirational, not only to children, but to the people around them. And they deserve to share their voice. So welcome to The Teacher's Story, enjoy. Hi, welcome to The Teacher's Story. I am Jackie Scully and today we have uh, Meg Kane Smith with us and I taught with her for a number of years. Um, in Delaware, and she is one of the best teachers I've ever had the pleasure to work alongside with. So I am so happy to have her today. Welcome. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you so much. Um, so my first question for you is, you can either describe or something that maybe, you know, happened in your childhood or maybe teenage years or young adult years that sparked your interest in education or teaching. Yes. Um, when I was a senior in high school, there were uh, no, really no AP courses, not like today when there's so many AP courses. And I took AP Shakespeare, which oh, nice. I haven't even heard of um, recently. And I took it with um, a teacher, Mr. Maselli, and uh, his passion for teaching Shakespeare was just incredible. It was so inspiring. And I just always remember his passion that he just loved what he taught. He loved mm. Shakespeare. He loved the class. He he just loved everything about it. And I um, had not taken an AP course yet. This is all the way back in the 70s. So I'm mm-hmm. really old. <laughs> but um, that kind of passion, I think, and I had other teachers that were passionate like that. I just remember him in particular, because he just so loved his subject matter. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's really important. And he really loved students as well. So that mm-hmm. combination of loving students and loving, you know, what you teach, I think is really, really important. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't decide actually to be a teacher until I got to college. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was in college, I was looking at um, elementary ed, and that's what I ended up getting my certification in element, elementary ed. Um, but I had worked at summer camps with children, and I really enjoyed, um, and they were like seven, eight, nine-year-olds. So um, I started actually as a sixth grade teacher, um, and I just really loved working with children, but I didn't really decide till I was in college, and you kind of had to obviously choose <laughs> something to study. <laughs> Um, and I was always a good student. I liked school, like school, like I like, I enjoyed reading. I read a lot, um, you know, back in the, you know, 1960s when I was little, like reading was a, a huge deal. There was no, you know, phones and stuff. So I appreciate that I'm still a reader today, but I think that's because I didn't have that constant social media that everybody yeah. has today. So I really, um, I, I was good at school. And that also, I think, helped. The time period of being a child and reading and not having social media, I had a student recently um, ask me in class, was it harder for you growing up or do you think it's harder for us? And I had to pause and I was thinking, I think it might actually be harder for them right now um, in different ways. I think there's difficulties in different ways, but it's really hard for students, I think, to fully sometimes immerse themselves in one thing because they are just so bombarded by so much stimulation with social media. So I think just having the childhood where you could just read 
and like take it all in and then have that be part of your life as an adult is really great. Yeah, I, I, I really think so too. I definitely think they have it harder. Yeah. Um, I, you know, social media so often engenders that idea of comparison. And, you know, when you are 10, 12 years old, you don't need any of that garbage yeah. <laughs> of that yeah. constant comparing to other people. And um, yeah, and, and just that lifelong love of, learn, of reading is just a wonderful gift to be able to have. And mm -hmm. I, um, I remember when I did start teaching, we always had that SSR, Sustained Silent Reading. Yes, I don't I even know if they that. still do that anymore, but I just think that just reading whatever you want for 20 minutes a day, you know, mm -hmm. not related to any subject matter is just so important. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, so that kind of goes into my next question. Um, if you want to talk about your first teaching experience or around the first years of teaching, any kind of times of struggle or really great, you know, moments, yeah. that like aha moments that you want to talk about? Yeah. Um, I had a great first two years of teaching. So I was, um, you know, 22 years old and I started at this Catholic school in Queens, New York, and it was extremely diverse. The students mm -hmm. were from Dominican Republic. They were from Haiti, um, all different countries. And this was back in the early eighties. Um, and it's still a very diverse area today. Mm -hmm. Um, I loved my students and I would have to say they loved me. I mean, I'm still on Facebook with them. They still wish me happy birthday. And this is oh, like way back in 19, you know, yeah. 81. <laughs> wow. That's wonderful. Um, it was, I did. Um, so I taught the language arts, the social studies, that part. And I also did, I did two school plays, you know, one school play each year. Mm. And I think school plays, and I'm not a theater person. So I, but I think school plays are wonderful. And they just have so much out of that. They really, really enjoyed it. Um, and then um, we did letters to the editor. I don't even know if people do this anymore, but we did a letter to the editor about these potholes in the streets in Queens where, you know, mm. Queens Village is where the school was located. And it got into the newspaper, into mm. the daily news. And it was just a big deal that yeah. the students saw that their letter, you know, made it into, as a sixth grade class, made it into the, um, into the newspaper. It was just very fun. I saved the letter because, you know, oh, it was just wow. a nice uh, memory that, you know, young people have a voice and have mm -hmm. some you know, has have some influence and they could see that, you know, in the mm -hmm. newspaper, of course, newspapers have changed today as well. <laughs> but, yeah. um, you know, just having that, you know, idea that you can impact change. Mm -hmm. So I can't remember if any potholes were actually filled, but they, <laughs> <laughs> but they did. Yeah, you never know after that point yeah, what the government's right. going to do with it. Right. That's wonderful. And that's what I remember from my time teaching alongside of you. Um, that you did a lot of projects that were based on agency and getting student voice and just uh, looking at things in the environment, particularly. Um, if, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about just um, how that developed over the years doing more of those types of projects. Yeah, um, I certainly have always had an interest in social justice and mm -hmm. that things have to be, you know, uh, more just than, you know, than they are. So I've certainly always tried to incorporate that um, into my classes, that there is an awareness of how, um, how, how privilege works mm -hmm. and how we, um, you know, just have to make the, 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 play, the, the playing field more level. Yeah. And um, so um, let me see. Uh, so in my classes, you know, I taught social justice, you know, at Ursuline where we mm -hmm. taught and uh, I certainly, um, you know, we did um, discussions. I'm trying to think of something in particular um, that we would have done. We did environmental um, projects. 
uh, Green Ribbon School. We applied for that. Mm -hmm, We got that mm -hmm. in 2020. So we did that. And that was a huge effort on the part of the school, not only with recycling, you know, recycling Mm -hmm. is kind of a low hanging fruit thing to be able to Mm -hmm. do. But, um, you know, we did uh, lots of those uh, water bottle refilling stations so that Mm -hmm. many, many students then would use water bottles rather than the plastic. I remember that, of course. But um, and, you know, um, all together, we got nine um, water bottle refilling stations in the school. So that was good. And we did that through mainly through grants that we Mm -hmm. wrote. But, um, you know, just that, you know, environmental awareness, um, Mm -hmm. especially, you know, I mean, we started probably about five, six years ago. And now, of course, every everything should be much more environmentally focused. But um, yeah, but uh, we did. um, I know one thing that we did. We had a. Um, mentoring project at Lewis Elementary. This was mm-hmm. back in like, um, you know, I don't know, 2008 to 2015. We uh, went over to um, the school close by, you know, where we taught and it is largely a Latinx school. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did, I had a cl- one class. And so, and we met at the same time, like mm-hmm. every day, which was at two o'clock. And so we were able to take the van, go over there once mm-hmm. a week, from you know two to two forty five and um, and be with those students. Oh, wonderful! And um, and do tutoring, mentoring, and that was really good. And yeah. that just worked out really well because school was close by. The timing worked out, so that was really good. Um, yeah. And that was you know out of the classroom. I mean, it would be good to do more out of the classroom experiences like that. Mm-hmm, so I mm-hmm. always look back on that, and that was you know that was a positive. Um, and we all we worked like um, this was extra, but on the weekends we did Habitat for Humanity probably mm. for about eight years. Also, yes, I remember um, that. Used yeah. to have more mm-hmm. energy like when I was younger, <laughs> but on Saturday mornings, you know, um, and they welcomed young people, you know, mm. to be able to teach them how to hammer nails and you know do all that kind of stuff. And I think for since it was a, an all girls school, that was important for women to be yeah. able to know yeah. more about. Um, construction, engineering, et cetera. So that was really good. But yes, I do definitely believe in out of the classroom experiences and yeah. things fair. And when you talk about like social justice or you talk about environmental like, stewardship in the classroom to then actually put it into action and get students out into the field, out into their own communities, um, that's where I think they really learn. And also this idea of service and not just being because most, a lot of schools, whether they're public or private, have some kind of service component that you have to fulfill before you graduate. And I think many times it just seems like a checklist, like I got to do this service, you know, these service hours. But when you frame it in a lesson in the classroom about why we're taking part in these, you know, activities and projects and how we're giving back to the community. And then when they go to their own local community and see how it can impact others, then they get it like, oh, service is really, it could be a very you know, fulfilling part of my life. Um, absolutely. Yeah, I yeah. love that. Yeah, and I always remember that about you. <laughs> yeah, and they always, um, you know, they, um, not all of them, but a lot of them realize that they get more out of it mm. than even the person that they're helping. Like it changes them. Like it helps yeah. them to get a different perspective and, and, and growth themselves. Yeah. As opposed to, oh, I, I helped this person today. I'm such an amazing person. You know, they right. realize the benefit was for them. So my next question moves us further along. And I know I, this was your last year um, in teaching before you retired. So your last year was mm-hmm. the pandemic uh, yes. 2020 into 2021. So again, if you want to talk about any experiences through teaching in the pandemic, um, anything that was really challenging or also like big learning moments or things that you could take with you into the future. Right, right. 
Uh, I do feel that the students were definitely less engaged because mm -hmm. if, I mean, if you're online, obviously you can be checking other websites, you can be on your phone, you can be doing other things right. that nobody has any idea about. So the engagement factor is definitely um, problematic. Um, I would say we all became more tech savvy. Mm -hmm. All of us uh, were, were definitely more tech savvy. So that part is a plus. Um, I think students who were quieter, that could have been good because they mm -hmm. were more um, on the discussion boards, you know, they mm -hmm. were more free to have a voice that way. So I mm -hmm. think maybe for quieter students, it was, uh, it was um, a positive. Um, I think it was harder for like tests or assessments in mm -hmm. the sense that you don't know how that was all working. If people were, you know, getting the answers in some way that they should not have been getting the answers, right. that part was, was hard to discern. Um, so we did three months of being totally, you know, at home. I think obviously that was very socially isolating. Um, I taught mainly sophomores and, you know, mm -hmm. high school students have to be connected to other socially, you know, other students. They are just such mm -hmm. a huge time in their lives for them to feel connected. And they were not. Mm -hmm. And then we did go back um, in the fall with really good. I felt that our school did a really good job of social distancing. And mm -hmm. some people were in the library, others were in the classroom. And then, it, you know, then it all rotated. But the camera use was terrific. You know, they, mm. anybody who was at home or in the library at the time that the class was taking place in the classroom could see. In the, so I thought the camera, the use mm -hmm, of cameras mm -hmm. was absolutely fantastic. Mm. Um, but the social isolation for students to miss out on so much of, mm -hmm. um, you know, the classroom experience as well as, you know, the proms and the, all the five million sports and the activities that students do. You know, definitely I just and they'll never forget it. Like they'll be 80 years old and look back and say, you won't believe what we lived through when I was yes. 16 years old. Yes, I know. <laughs> and, I say that all the time. Hopefully it won't come again. Hopefully. No. <laughs> but who knows? Yeah. Um, so I think uh, the, the the tech stuff was good. Um, mm -hmm. I think some students really probably enjoyed after class was finished, they were able mm -hmm. to. Um, you know, get a snack or, mm -hmm. you know, do whatever and not feel like, oh my gosh, I have to race to my next class because now yeah. I have a little 15 minute break and I can, you know, do something, you know, quick at home or whatever. Mm -hmm. So that part I think was good. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot more on the discussion boards. I think that part was good. Mm -hmm. Uh, but overall, it's a negative. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's been the takeaway as I've interviewed teachers and just my own reflection. Um, I think it's just mind boggling to look back at how quick we pivoted. And it's funny using the word pivot after 2020 to 2021. I'm like, I don't want to hear the two words unprecedented and pivot <laughs> like right, one more right, time right, because right, that's all right. we said for a year and a half. Yeah. But it's true. Like we were, you know, for most, um, for, I, I would say a lot of independent schools, we had the resources and able to have like computers one-on-one. -on -one, and I think, you know, even some public schools have that too, but to just change so quickly and it wasn't perfect, but to actually still have school and have interaction with your teacher, at least on zoom for that lockdown period. Um, and we learned so much like in a really fast way that, I think looking back, you're, you're like, how did I do that? <laughs> like, yeah. How did yeah. I do all of this in a short amount of time? But yeah. the social aspect was very difficult. I remember there were, uh, there was like this little bit of excitement for maybe a week um, in March when everything was new and you're like, oh, we're all on zoom together. And they were kind of like, this is different. And I'm at home in my pajamas. 
And then easily by like April, we're just, they were over it. No cameras were turning on. Um, and yes. they just felt very disconnected. And you tried to do like these different community events on Zoom and it just wasn't really working. I saw that with your school and like even my school as well for the 2020 to 2021 year, we tried as much as we could with social distancing to have a lot of different events at the school, like having the play outside, you know, having events outside. Mm -hmm. Um, So I feel like there were a lot of schools that were still virtual for a lot of that year or most of the year. And uh, I saw a lot of connection between both of our schools where we really tried to make it feel like school culturally um, as best as we could. But the social, I think only really right. was going to become more normalized th- this year, this past year. Right, um, right, right. It was great seeing kids come together again at the beginning of the school year. And they just yeah. were so excited to be around each other because it is a time where they, you know, talk about 10th grade. It's a time that social development is important. It's like, yeah, yeah. 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 So we made it through and then you retired. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> what a great time. <laughs> yes. That was. You're like, this is, that was probably one of the hardest parts of your teaching experience. And then you're like, and it's retirement. I'm ready to go. <laughs> so before I get into the last question, do you want to just talk about how uh, you've been enjoying retirement or what you've been doing since sure. uh, retired? Yeah, sure. I'm um, fortunate to live in a state of uh, Delaware where we have um, a free um, master's education in, um, in any subject area, you know, as long as you have the prerequisite course to get into the program, but I'm doing a um, master's in liberal studies and I'm going full-time. You can go part-time, but Mm -hmm. this is for any, you know, uh, resident over age 60. And I know other states have it as well. So I think this is like, wow, you know, kind of a free education. How how could you beat that? And so I take a whole variety of courses in, um, gosh, contemporary social issues, uh, Mm. World War II, Mozart and the Enlightenment. Mm. Um, you know, it's just the whole smattering mm-hmm. of humanities mm-hmm. courses that I'm interested in. Museum education, like yeah. a whole bunch of different yeah. things. That's awesome. And uh, yeah, I really enjoy it. Um, and yeah. so I think going along with you going back to school and getting your master's in some of those courses that maybe align with kind of this last question, or maybe not, um, but kind of now that you're out of the profession, but you're still very much engaged in education, like with your own adult education. And I know you're, like you talked about, you're super passionate about social justice. Um, and I think continuing to really see how people can impact their community. Like what do you have as far as ideas for improving education in America or just anything we can learn from what we've experienced in, since 2020? Uh, that are takeaways that we can continue to move forward in education. Right. I made a whole list. So, okay. <laughs> so, Great. Well, my daughter is a school psychologist at a tier okay. one school and it is um, a school that is uh, 75% um, probably even um, higher than that of uh, low income school mm-hmm. and um, staff. Um, more support staff is needed. And I know that there is even a a concern, a huge concern with special education teachers, a lack thereof. Mm -hmm. And uh, so support staff for behavior intervention um, um, concerns, uh, everything, you know, speech therapists, special ed teachers, but uh, the the learning issues and the behavior issues are definitely a priority. And Mm -hmm. 
you've got people burning out because they're doing, you know, just so many different roles. And so support yeah. staff is just really, um, really key. Uh, I know some states, I think it was maybe even Hawaii, looked at mm. incentive pay for special ed mm. teachers and support staff, that they're trying mm. to lure people into that with, you know, with extra pay. And As they um, should. Yes, really. as they, they should. Sh- they should be getting paid yes. more. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Wow. The, um, yeah, the learning issues and the behavior issues are key and mm-hmm. that can hold back a whole class. You know, if you have, mm-hmm. you know, just a very few students who really need that support and aren't getting it, you know, it affects the whole rest of the class. So mm-hmm. support staff is, is, um, is very important. Um, and as I mentioned before about experiential learning, I mm-hmm. do think that's really important for schools that, um, that they do get out of the classroom. Uh, one time, this is kind of funny, but we went to clean a cemetery. It was across the street from our school and down the road a little bit. And so we were picking up branches and leaves that had fallen, you know, over the winter. It was the springtime. And so then they asked if they could go to Starbucks after it. And, um, and it was maybe another two blocks walk. And um, two of the students said, um, you know, I've never been to downtown Wilmington. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> our school's like right there. I know. Our school's <laughs> like right there. And, you know, you can walk downtown Wilmington in probably 20 minutes, but, but people don't. And so the idea that we could be so close to a community resource mm. and not actually take advantage of it was mm. just very like eye-opening to me. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And so we were able to, you know, tackle this, you know, really a very old cemetery. It was one of those historic, you know, cemeteries and then be right in downtown in like, you know, a very, very few minutes just mm-hmm. showed me that we really have to do more to get our mm-hmm. students out of the little, you know, campus, tiny little square area that they're located in. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, especially if you live near a place that has, you know, these kind of resources. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, so it's, that would be maybe service learning courses, um, internships. Uh, mm. I know my uh, daughter worked at a place in San Francisco where uh, one day a week, the students do a learning um, internship at a business. Of course, mm-hmm. that's easier in, in San Francisco or certain you know, big cities like that, but still the internship yeah. idea I thought was, uh, was really good. Um, and there's also um, volunteer work, you know, mm-hmm. if classes meet at the beginning or the end of the day, you can actually configure mm-hmm. some kind of a service a program around that. Mm-hmm. Um, environmental work, you know, there's, I think, many state parks, you know, and, and local parks that are willing to partner with students to help yeah. with environmental work. And, um, you know, I just think there should be a bigger emphasis too on, on Votex, you know, uh, yes, we have this I huge emphasis on yeah. colleges and yet, uh, you know, Votex, I mean, no one's going to outsource plumbing, you know, no, they're yeah. always going to need electricians. Yeah. And so a bigger emphasis on Votex um, as well. Absolutely. And, uh, and pride, I mean, complete pride in our Votex schools that mm-hmm. we have is mm-hmm. completely needed. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, let me see. Um, I did uh, put down also about the silent, sustained silent reading in high school. Yes, <laughs> I think I we know. need that. Um, and some pleasure. kind of time to just like get yeah. off of technology too. Yeah, yeah. You know? right. No technology needed, just 20 minutes of pure reading of, you know, you could read, you know, manga comics, you could read whatever, mm-hmm. but just mm-hmm. reading something just to see mm-hmm. the pleasure, the joy of actual reading. Mm-hmm. Um Let's see, some of our schools around here anyway are becoming segregated again. 
Mm. That's problematic. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And I know that there was this big push for neighborhood schools, but since our neighborhoods are all desegregated, that leads to the problem of schools being segregated. So I think that some kind of um, looking at how we have resegregated our schools is Mm -hmm. is is crucial. Yeah. Right. Um, Our our we our students also take a lot of tests. And so there's data, the data is there, you know, with the tests, especially those standardized tests. However, I'm not sure how much the data is used properly. So Mm. here you have, let's say a student in second grade who is clearly, you know, you know, the subtraction or whatever, you know, the math problem they have is, is, is clearly identified on the standardized test. And, you know, is it going to be individualized to that student that here is their, you know, not they're not doing so well in this particular area Mm -hmm. is that addressed you know individually by the teacher or is that even possible because the teacher has 25 students and they have to teach this whole class so i just think better use of our data that we already have Mm -hmm. and implementing individualized programs to really capture their you know their um you know what they're not doing so well in is mm-hmm. just really really important yeah because the data is already there and so yeah. um and you know we have to make sure that we're addressing it um you know in a better way but uh because i know often businesses in colleges they complain you know well you know the student has like you know this great average in high school but you know they're not their writing skills are not quite mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. and so then you have to question wait if their employers or their college professors are seeing you know not great writing um you know, the data probably was there when they were writing in sixth grade. So we have to address that better. Um, I loved that you mentioned, because I think it often gets overlooked, these two areas, is support staff and special ed and Mm VOTEC. Those are Mm -hmm. so overlooked um, Mm -hmm. because I I think there's a mindset in just academia in general from K through 12, to college is all about achievement, right? And just going back to test scores, it's all about achievement. So we kind of push aside the other areas that are really important and key in schools, but in society, like you do need support staff because you do have students who need a lot of extra care and help. And I think even more so coming out of the pandemic, we're gonna see more of a need for that. And I think that's great if it is in Hawaii or other places where they are making more of a, incentive, like raising their salaries so they can, you know, get people into those professions that really are passionate about it, but they, they need to take care of their families and pay their bills. Right. Um, right, right. And though tech, I've been talking about this a number of times with teachers this past year that because, because there's such this, this uh, conversation about student debt, and there's a lot of students who leave college with all this debt and they still can't find jobs or they're still bouncing around from service industry jobs. Yeah. And if we had more of that pride, like you mentioned, in Votech, mm-hmm. not just as, oh, this is just an alternative program, you know, for kids who are not academic, which has a negative connotation, that no, there is such a need for this type of skill set in our society. Like these are really good paying jobs and you learn and hone a particular skill. Like you think of like guilds back in the day, Yes, right. you know, this was something that right. was honored at one point in society. And now we pushed it aside and put academia on this pedestal. And that's definitely, there should be a mind shift there. Yes. Um, yeah. Cause there, I think there should be Votech programs in every high school. Yeah. Yeah. You know, even independent schools. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Because we're, we don't have that workforce either. Right. Right. Yeah. And another, that relates to another workforce we don't have. Um, um, my son is in the banking industry and so mm. often they have, they get finance people, they get computer people from other countries on these, mm. you know, on the visa programs. And yeah. I think the fact that we, you know, are not training enough people in our country in computer mm. science, mm-hmm. you know, in, you know, in those kind of, um, and hard sciences as well. Yeah. Um, and that we have to constantly look abroad to get people when we could clearly, yeah. we have a lot of people here that we could yes. be training better. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So that I think is finance well. is key too. Like we do have a finance class at my school and the, the students love it. They think that this is so wonderful that we have a class like that, not just for possibly going into finance as a, a career, but just right. learning about right. personal mm-hmm. finance is yes. financial more, literacy is yeah. and it's not there. And you would think yeah. out of all the courses that we taught financial, you know, like, you know, sex and money are two big things in your life. <laughs> right. right. And you would think financial literacy would be one right. of the things that we really emphasize and we often don't. Yeah. Um, yeah. These are all really great ideas. I agree. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, maybe the more teachers are, because we're the ones in the classroom with the students and we, you know, especially if you've worked in all different types of schools, you can really see what's needed. Um, I think as you get further out of the classroom, particularly at the government level, it's really, really hard to see what's needed. And like, you just maybe only see test scores, right? Or you just see just broader areas, but um, kind of my motivation with this podcast too, is to gather teacher voices to share their ideas because we're in it. Like we see it, right? We see the holes, we see what needs to change. And we also really care. Like we care about it changing because we want to make it, we want to make it better in this country. I think it can be better. Right. And one area, I don't have a solution to this, but this, (laughs) you know, I retired at age um, like 62 and a half, but I started to think about it at age 58 because of a concern that I had in the classroom. So I was teaching social justice and a parent had called about, um, basically I had, we were discussing the Colin Kaepernick story right when it happened, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. way back. I mean, you know, eight, seven, eight years ago. Yeah. And um, so one parent had called. And so then the principal called me into the office mm-hmm. to ask why would we be discussing, you know, this mm-hmm. topic. And that whole polarization issue mm-hmm. that's happened, especially in history classes or mm-hmm. in, you know, any kind of social justice um, classes. I don't know the answer to that, but I know a few parents have a lot of influence. It can change the whole Mm -hmm. course of instruction in Delaware. We just passed a law last year that starting in this, I think it's coming year, Mm -hmm. um, African-American history has to be taught in all, you know, as part of the basic history curriculum for every student. And um, so that to me is a huge huge step step. forward. Uh, But the pushback from some parents and the whole polarization of how we confront our past um, is very, you know, primary. I mean, even elections are rotating around this. And so how we approach that and you know, and want to hear everyone's voice, not just those few parents who call the principal, mm-hmm. but um, is, is problematic. So yeah. I, I don't quite uh, know the answer to that, but it's sad. It's just, yeah, know, I think sad. that's one that's more convoluted. That's going to take a lot more time, but that's a major concern. And I think why there is this kind of 
exodus of teachers leaving the classroom out of many reasons out of the pandemic, but also maybe feeling pressured that they mm-hmm. don't have a voice or when they do teach in the classroom, they are being scrutinized and mm-hmm. then they feel like they're under a microscope or they're being judged, judged for what they're doing, which they know is truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mm-hmm. talked about this on an earlier episode with another teacher that I don't know if this is possible and it seems lofty, which it shouldn't be, but to have some kind of sense of community of voices sharing information together and not just top down, but that teacher, psychologist, educational psychologist, right? Developmental psychologist, people who know like what is really crucial to teach, historians, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. all talking about this conversation of but why do we teach this? Why does this need to be in the curriculum? Um, so maybe there's a place of empathy of coming from, I understand why there's maybe pushback or why they don't understand all the information or how it's being taught. So you're getting things that are just little, you know, sound bites in the media and the news and they, they twist everything around for politics. And if we actually had an honest conversation with experts in the field about this is why we have it in the curriculum. Like this is real history, right? These are different identities we do need to talk about and expose to children and be in the classroom because they're present in our classroom. We have different kids from different walks of life Mm -hmm. and different identities, and we can't elevate one and push aside another. Right, right. That's not fair. And teachers really care about every single student in front of them, no matter where they come from, their background, they want to honor every single person as a human being. Mm -hmm. And that's really why we have to have this in the curriculum. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, no. Well said, Jackie. I think right now there's a lot of just um, friction between parents and school and not everywhere, but, you know, maybe in certain instances, and maybe they just feel like I'm not part of the conversation either. I don't really know what's going on. So if there's this welcoming and invitation to be a part of what we're doing in the school and really learn about it, I think that maybe would have some, you know, leeway. Right. Uh, but it, it is, it is, a. Uh, it's more convoluted than just this easy kind of quick, it's not a quick fix. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yes. Uh, right. Because it's connected to how we get our information, you know, all the different sources that people are going to. Yeah. And so it's a huge societal issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. These are great ideas. Thank you so yeah. much, Meg. I really enjoyed uh, talking with you today. And I, when I was thinking of teachers early on, you were one that came right to my mind because of the work that you've done in the classroom with social justice and environmental stewardship. And you really do care about students going out to the community and making a difference. And that's just like phenomenal. I love that. Oh, thank you so much, Jackie. Thank you. (laughs) Well, uh, thank you, Meg, for being on the teacher's story. It was wonderful chatting with you. Enjoy retirement and your master's program at University of Delaware. That's so (laughs) wonderful that you have that opportunity. And I look forward to catching up in the future. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. You're welcome. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.